We are in the um, arriving at the middle of a, a mini-series on the parable of the sower. At one point, Jesus said, if you are to understand any parable, you have to first understand the parable of the sower. And so it is unquestionably important, as all Scripture is. And this morning, uh, last time we talked about the sower, we talked about the hard-hearted hearer, the antagonistically... um, uh, hard, hard hearer. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the um, the half-hearted hearer, also known as the uh, the quitter or the sunny day follower of Jesus. And if you have a Bible, I would like to ask you to turn to Matthew 13. Be reading uh, the corresponding verses in Mark and Luke. All three uh, gospel accounts um, uh, can um, repeat this. Um, Okay. My wife quiets the baby. I can hear you humming, sweetie. <laughs> I just know your voice, so it's, that's, it's okay. It's a good song. Uh, so, <laughs> Matthew 13. Uh, if you have a Bible, Matthew 13, uh, look at verses 5 and 6. Uh, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And Jesus gives the explanation of this in uh, verses 20 and uh, 21 of Matthew 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And over in Mark's account of the gospel, you see in verses 5 and 6, um, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And then verses uh, 16 and 17 of the same chapter, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And lastly, over in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 8, uh, verse uh, 6 and verse uh, 13. In Luke 8, uh, verse 6, It says, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And in verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Let's, uh, let's turn our hearts to God in a word of prayer. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we come and we, we thank you for Jesus who is the supreme sower and who is the word of you, our God. And Father, we praise you for your objective 
in uh, sowing Jesus in us so that we might uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of him. Father, as we listen today and as I seek to preach, please help me where I am weak. Please help us where we may be weary. Please give us grace where we may be wandering. And uh, Lord, help us uh, to walk uh, with Jesus and to hear his word and be transformed by it. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The half-hearted hearer, a.k.a. the quitter or the sunny day follower of Jesus. I want to um, first discuss with you rejoicing in Jesus is the only thing that will truly sustain us in our trials. Rejoicing in Jesus is the only thing that will truly sustain us in our trials. And uh, second, uh, following Jesus will always lead to testing and suffering. Following Jesus will always lead to testing and suffering. And last, uh, believing on Jesus when tested will never leave us disappointed. Uh, Believing in Jesus when tested will never leave us disappointed. In this uh, particular uh, passage, um, the hearer is described as as half-hearted. Someone who hears the word of Jesus and receives it with joy, uh, but it's only for a short season. As soon as the test comes, as soon as the, the heat's on, they show their true colors and run away. My father, used to, my father used to tell me that Christians are like, or people are like, they're like tea bags. They don't show what they really are until they get in hot water. And that's often true, is it not? That when the heat is on, we find out what we're really made of. Um, Someone one time said that who you are in private and who you are under pressure is in many ways who you really are. Who you are in private when no one's watching you and who you are when you're under pressure, that's who you really are. The Apostle Paul one time said when he was sitting in a prison cell, Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again I will say, again I will say, just in case you didn't catch it the first time or in case you thought I misspoke the first time, again I will say rejoice. Because the Lord is that worthy of being rejoiced in, no matter what you may be going through. Um, You remember the sunny day follower who would follow Jesus in Luke's account of the Gospel in Luke chapter 9. You have the account of Jesus headed up to Jerusalem, going up there to be crucified, going to be scorned and mocked and spit on. And there is along the road someone who comes and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Receiving it with joy, but Jesus turns to him and says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had to think again before he really wanted to follow Jesus. Because Jesus will take you places that you don't necessarily want to go. He told that to the Apostle Peter at the end of, his, at the end of John's account of the Gospel, that you will follow me to a place where you don't necessarily want to go. And he was talking about his crucifixion. We know traditionally that Peter was crucified upside down because he believed himself unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. And perhaps when Jesus first met Peter, he wasn't prepared for that kind of end. But making it along with Jesus, keeping in step with him, 
does something to your character. It does something to your perspective. It, it gives you strength where you didn't have strength before. Abraham was told to go to a land that he didn't know, but he knew the one who sent him. And 25 years later, he finally got the son God promised him. And then God told him, get up early in the morning and sacrifice him. And it doesn't talk about Abraham screaming and yelling or losing sleep. Because Abraham had been some miles with the Lord at that point. And he had come to know the Lord, to be faithful to his word and promise. And he was able to give the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to do so because he looked in hope. He looked for the joy set before him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham reasoned when he heard the word from the Lord that God is able to raise the dead. Because he knew that Isaac was the seed that God promised and that his offspring was going to be multiplied through Isaac and Isaac was not married. Isaac had no children, so how was he going to do it? And as he reasoned and thought about the power of God and the the witness of God he had known up to that point, he said, well, he must, is going to raise him from the dead. And so he got up early and he was was zealous, he was urgent about taking his son there with, with a joy set before him because he said, I'm going to see something miraculous today. I'm going to see my son raised from the dead. You know how the story ended. He didn't have to sacrifice his son, but God sacrificed his. There was a little ram caught in a thicket, a picture of Jesus Christ. Abraham saw Jesus. He saw him in that ram. And it was on that same mountain that Jesus was crucified millennia later, the same mountain where Solomon's temple was built. Rejoicing in Jesus is the only thing that will truly sustain you in trials. Nehemiah told us, the people of God in Nehemiah chapter 8, it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Oftentimes we hear a sermon or we see God at work and we read the Bible and we see the amazing ways that God worked and we, we receive it with joy. We're so excited about what we've read or what we've heard or what we've have experienced. And we're just happy to follow Jesus. But then, then the test comes. Then the trial comes. Then the difficulty comes. Notice what it says. The tribulation and persecution come on account of the Word. The testing comes on account of the Word. How far will you follow Jesus? You remember Peter. I'll die with you, Lord. I'm ready to be delivered up with you. But then a little girl recognized him by the fire. The test came. The trial came. The persecution came. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. Three times he failed the test. And the only reason he came back is because Jesus said before the test, I've prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. That's the type of Savior we have. He doesn't abandon us when the heat's on. He doesn't abandon us when when he sees smoke. He doesn't abandon us when the test happens He's there praying for us. That's why Peter made it through. That's why Peter came back. It wasn't because Peter looked into himself and and found the better part of himself. It wasn't because Peter just pulled himself up by his bootstraps. It wasn't because Peter uh, felt like, oh, I feel real bad about denying Jesus. I better do a better job. The only reason Peter came back is because Jesus says, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. I intercede for you. And Jesus, His prayers always are heard. They're always answered. He always gets what He prays for. 
because he always prays according to the will of God. But a walk with Jesus is a walk of, of ups and downs. We've all been to weddings, and weddings are usually a sign of joy. <laughs> it's usually the case. Um, people are happy, people are joyful. But what do you say when you stand up front? You don't just say, I, I, I love you and I'm so happy with you and I'm just so happy the way you look today and look at all the people, our guests came and, and look, at the, look at the table back there with all the gifts we're going to open up and all the cards stuffed with money. You don't, you don't, just, you don't talk about that, right? You, you say for better and for worse for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, till I die. That's what it's like with Jesus, right? You follow Jesus as you follow Him to the death. You don't just follow Him when everything's going well. That's easy to do that. Anybody can do that. A pagan can do that. But it's rejoicing in the Lord when the testing comes that's going to make you strong. In the book of Philippians, it says to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and it says rejoice in the Lord. And the picture, the portrait of the Lord given in that book, the central portion, the central picture of Jesus given in the book of Philippians chapter 2 is, is someone who, who counted you more significant than himself. He looked out for your interest. He suffered in Gethsemane because of you. See, when, when He took it upon Himself to walk with you, it wasn't just sunny day walk with you. He, he went to the cross. He, he bore your sin. He bore your rebellion. He bore your perversions. He took the wrath of God. He didn't give up when, when the wrath of God came. He didn't say on the cross, oh, this is too much, I quit. He took it all for you. And that is perhaps one of the biggest motivations for you to keep moving on and keep following Jesus. Because He didn't give up on you. He didn't quit when you were down. When you were drowning in your sin. When you were a slave to the devil. He didn't quit on you. He stuck with you when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their sin. The beauty of the Gospel is that God ran after them. God left the garden. He came looking for them. He said, build me a tabernacle. Because I love you and I want to dwell with you, but you need some kind of insulation because you're a sinner and I'm holy and you'll burn up in my presence. So, I create a sacrificial system for you. And let's do it a little bit more permanently. Let's build a temple. And then God showed up Himself in the flesh to show you how serious He was about loving you. It wasn't just about go goats and lambs and bulls and cattle and men dressed up in nice clothing. Jesus came Himself. He came in the flesh. And He suffered. He was tempted. He was tried. He went through it all. He was crucified. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He went through it all for, for you and because of you. For God's glory primarily, but for God's glory seen in you as well. And the joy that was set before Him was the joy of seeing you in glory one day, glorified and glorifying God. And that was the portrait, that was the picture that was in His mind, and that perhaps is the picture that you and I need to have on a daily basis in the midst of a trial and a test. We've got to think about glory to deal with this day. That's hard and difficult. But what day is coming? It's a day of glory. It's a day of worship. It's golden sand 
and pearly gates. But best of all, it's sitting with Jesus. Seeing Him face to face. The psalmist said, One thing have I desired of the Lord. Can, can you and I say, there's just one thing that I desire of the Lord? I, I can think of a whole list of things. Time, there's not enough time to talk about the things I desire of the Lord. So we all need some work. The psalmist can say, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For what reason to see golden sand, to see pearly gates, amazing as that might be, but no, but that I might behold the beauty of the Lord, that I might see His face. That's, what, that's where you're headed. You, you know, the Bible says that, that the angels, the angels who, who always see the face of God, it says they always see the face of God. I don't know a sight that's more wonderful than the face of God. But it says of the angels that they long, they long to look into what God has done for you and me. In 1 Peter 1, 10-12, it says they long. It's like they're standing on tippy-toe leaning over to see what on earth has God in Christ by His Spirit done for pagans, for sinners, for rebels. They stand on tippy-toe to peer into the glories of the Gospel. We should be of the same sort because we have a song like the hymn writer saying that the angels can't sing. Jesus didn't come to this earth to die for angels. He came to die for sinners like you and me. When the angels left their first estate, those who did, there's no coming back. But we left our first estate and now there's a way back through Jesus. Because He suffered. Because for Him, it was for better and for worse. It was for richer and for poorer. For Him, He was committed to the end. That's the only reason we make it back. is because God made a covenant and He stuck with it even when we didn't. Rejoicing in Jesus is the only thing that will truly sustain us in our trials. Following Jesus will always lead. It will always lead. Maybe I need to say it again for my own sake. It will always lead to testing and suffering. We don't like that, but it's true. Jesus said in John, the account of the Gospel, chapter 15, he said in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept My Word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of My name, because they do not know Him who sent Me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. If you're going to follow Jesus in this world and really follow Him, and not just look like you're following Him, but actually follow Him, actually lay your life down for the Gospel, actually follow Him to the death, and not compromise when the heat is on, you are going to be tested. You are going to suffer. It's part of the lay of the land. How many people purposely Suffer. On purpose. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, you know, we always talk about knowing the will of God and being sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8 and 9, it says, 
but I will stay in Ephesus, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. That's usually where we stop. A wide door is open to me. It's effective work before me. But then he says, and there are many adversaries. He purposely went into the fray knowing, he says in another place in Acts chapter 20, a very familiar uh, passage, Acts chapter 20, He says there in verse uh, 22 and following, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, Acts 20, 22, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except not knowing what will happen to me there, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. He said, the only thing I can be sure of going to Jerusalem is that every place I go, I'm going to get beat up. I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to be persecuted. That's the only thing I'm sure of. But my life doesn't matter anymore if only I can finish the course that God gave me. That's the way Jesus was. When He came to this world and He went to the cross, He wasn't concerned about Himself He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He didn't come to get. He came to give. He came to lay His life down. He said, here I am, God. I'm ready to die. What else is there? That's the type of perseverant following that Jesus is looking for. You see, the parables separate dabblers from disciples. They separate people who just have a someday interest in Jesus, the people who have a hardcore to the death, I'm with Him. And mean it. Have looked into uh, what, what it means to follow Jesus and have seen the underbelly of the beast, have seen the difficulty and said, I'm in! Because He was in it for me. Because He died on the cross for me. That when the wrath of God was upon him and my sin was being borne by him, he didn't quit. He didn't jump off the cross. He said, strike me dead and curse me. Because I want to bless that person. I want to bless those people. I want to see them in glory. So strike me down, oh God. The hymn writer said, let sorrow come. Let sorrow come and difficulty come. These are your sweet messengers. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Here's the reason. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And so they said, we're willing. We've got a treasure. We've got a gospel. We've got a message that changes the world. That changes the stony heart. That can shape culture. That can change the whole world. That can flip it upside down. We've got this treasure. And it comes in a jar of clay. It comes in brokenness. And the more we get broke, the more that treasure spills out. Paul said, I got a thorn, Lord Jesus. Please take it away from me. He said it three times. Jesus said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. You're not going to know, Paul, about my grace You're not going to know how powerful I really can be unless you go through this. 
and keep that thorn inside of you. He'd been given multiple revelations and lest he be lifted up with pride and arrogance, God sent a messenger of Satan to buffet him and to bring him low so he could run to Jesus and rely on Him and have Jesus open up the fountain of His grace, the fountain of His mercy, the fountain of His power that never runs dry. And Paul would be swimming in it with the end result that Jesus gets the glory, Jesus gets the praise, Jesus gets the worship. Jesus' agenda in this world is to save sinners. And if you follow Him, that's your agenda. A kingdom agenda, a discipleship agenda, a holiness agenda, and in the process of following Jesus in those purposes, you're going to run up against a world that's antagonistic against Him. And if that makes you break, it's because you've taken your eyes off of Him who died for your sin. Second Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uh, told Timothy, his young disciple, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, indeed, indeed, you know what that means? It means you can be sure of this. That's Paul's Truly, truly, or verily, verily, if you're an old King James guy. Indeed, all. I looked up the word all in the dictionary. It meant every single person. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Do you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I certainly hope you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, I certainly hope that that's your desire. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted at some level. At some level. Um, following Jesus will always lead to testing and suffering. You see, the seed that fell on the rocky soil, it says it didn't have any depth of soil. They didn't have any depth of soil. It just, you know, I used to grow corn in Philadelphia, people thought I was a little strange. Because I lived in a row home, and there were six-foot stalks of corn outside the front of my house. I'm thankful that during those periods of my life that no one sought to write me up or call the city, see if it was in for coding or whatnot. Um, but I... I started those corn seeds inside the house, and I found that the quickest way to start them was to put some gravel at the bottom of a cup, and just put a little bit of soil, and lay it there, and they would almost spring up overnight. Then I would take them out and put them in deeper soil, and then they would, you know, they would dig roots down, and then you would see them start to grow more substantially. But these guys had no depth of soil, and, and at one point it says they had no root in themselves. And they were empty. And in another point, it says they had no moisture. And, and when the sun hit them, they just shriveled up and died because they had, no, they had no rooting system. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, the passage that was read, it says about the blessed man, it says that he sends out his roots to the stream. But these guys had no root in themselves. They had nothing to send anywhere because they were empty. There was an emptiness um, because the value of God's Word was not taken to heart. It was just a sunny day following of Jesus. And um, they had no moisture. They had nothing to sustain the rooting system or the, the system above the ground because there was nothing, there was nothing, there was nothing there. They were empty. Um, Believing in Jesus when tested will never leave you disappointed. Believing in Jesus will never ever leave you disappointed. The psalmist at one point said in Psalm uh, 119, 
uh, he says in verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In verse 71, it says, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. You know, when Job, when the chips were down and he lost everything, you know, he had a lot, but his lot didn't have him. His lot, his root was not in the lot, his root was in the Lord. And, and he, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job saw everything coming from the hand of the Lord. And Job knew that the hand of the Lord was a good hand. And that sometimes the providence seems dark and sometimes you don't understand the purpose, but you have to understand the person, the being behind the purpose that He's always good. All the time He's good. Even when life doesn't seem well. Sometimes people come up and say, how's life treating you? I say, life is treating me terrible, but God is treating me good. Sometimes your life goes south. Believing on Jesus when tested will never leave you disappointed. You look at the life of Job, he went through a whole lot. And in the book of Job, God never gave Job an explanation why he had to go through what he went through. He never explained anything to him. Job persevered. He, he was patient. Have you ever gone to Walmart? I'm sure you have. They have good deals sometimes. There's a lot of people in Walmart, you know that especially on Saturday or Friday night. Have you ever purposely looked for the longest line and said, let me go stand in that line. I want to work on my sanctification today. You know, the Bible says patience is part of your sanctification. Tribulation, work of patience. You go there and you look for the, for the cash register who's doing the worst job, can't figure out anything. Let me pick her line or his line. I said his, so you don't think I'm being sexist. We both get it wrong. I just said her first because ladies, ladies first, you know, gentlemen. <laughs> See where I cleaned that one up. But you purposely go places where you know it's going to be difficult and hard. Some people say, I never pray for patience. Well, why not, you ungodly person? You should always pray for patience. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Well, tribulation work of patience. I don't want tribulation. You can't have one without the other. You know, if you want scrambled eggs, pal, you've got to crack the egg. <laughs> Believing on Jesus will never leave you disappointed. Romans 5. You know the passage. You probably have it memorized. If not, maybe you should. It's not legalistic, it's just a good advice. Romans 5, verse, verse 3. Not only do we rejoice, not only that, not only that, what, what came before, the, before this? That came before this, and that was we, we rejoice in the fact that we're justified. We rejoice in the fact that we have peace with God. We rejoice that we have access with God. But also, it says, not just that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing. That's what the rocky, the, so, the seed sown among the rocks lacked. Knowledge. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That when, 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 when you suffer and when you go through trial, God has a good purpose in it. He wants to give you the power to endure. He wants to build your character and make you more like Jesus. He wants to fill you with joy and with love by the power of the Spirit, and He wants to give you hope. When you see the character of Christ being formed in your life, you have hope that God is with me in the trial. He's using it. He's that powerful. He can, he can manipulate the situation and work it out for my good and for my glory in the end. 
And that has to be our perspective. When, when, when the shoe drops, when the, when the bottom falls out, you've got to say on the way down, God's purpose is good. He put a work order out on me. He wants me to look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. That's why this is happening. Sometimes I say, why is this happening to me? Why not? Who made you exempt? You live in this world. This world has fallen. This world is broken. Your body is broken. Your life is broken in many ways. Everybody, the, the sun shines on the good and the evil. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. We're in the same earth. We're on the same earth. Sometimes you meet people who seem like they're on another planet. I will admit that. Sometimes I act like I'm on another planet. And so do you. But we're really on the same earth. And it's sometimes difficult, and God uses those difficulties to transform us. The Bible says in the midst of our temptation, there is no temptation that has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to deal with. He will always provide a way for you to escape so that you can stand up underneath the temptation. It is impossible for a believer to ever be told by God to hold 11 pounds if you can only hold 10 he will never put anything in your life that's more than you are able to handle. You've got to believe that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to trust and believe. The psalmist said, I will call upon the name of the Lord because he heard my cry in the past, and because of that, I'm going to continue to cry on him, cry out to him. You've got a history with God. Let me read a few more things, and we can close with a couple of ending thoughts. You know that the Apostle Paul said, you know the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that we felt we had received a sentence of death. We felt it was all over for us. And Paul said that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We should not come at God with a suspicious mind. You know, Elvis Presley sang that song. I don't know what you think about Elvis, but he says that he couldn't love when there were suspicious minds. It's the same thing, you know. I don't know whether Elvis was thinking about this when he was singing that song. But it's hard to stay in right relationship, right fellowship with God if you've got a suspicious mind about everything he does. If you're suspicious about, well, why did he do this? And why is he doing that? And if it's a why, why, why with a, with a, with a kicker on the end, why did he do this to me? What's wrong with him? You know, that's the sense of that. Instead of saying, okay, this is, God is still with me. He's got a purpose in this, and His purpose is good. This, this does not change His love for me. It does not change His purpose for me. It does not change His aim and objective for me of being in glory. The best things in life really are free, and they're mine, and they can never be taken away. And this can't change anything. It can only be used to make my character more like Jesus. That's the only thing this can do. That's the only thing this can do. It can make me more like Jesus. In God's purposes, in God's grand design, the good work He began, He will faithfully bring it to completion. He's bigger and stronger than everybody and nobody can stop Him. So, when you go through, in, in concluding, you've got to remember that Jesus is your great high priest. He's gone through the heavens way ahead of you. And he's a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He can sympathize with every single weakness you have. And since he can, and the reason he can is because he was tempted in every single way just as you have been yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why make things harder on yourself? When you go through trial, just pray. We try to figure it out. We try to complain and squeal and worm away, you know, pray. Take the easy way out. God has got grace and mercy abundantly there for you. It's just all you have to do is, is go in and ask for it. It's like somebody who won a billion dollars and has been poor all their life. They can't believe that that money's actually in their account. I can't believe it. Well, you were spiritually impoverished, bankrupt, and God has got resources in your spiritual account that far outweigh anything you will ever deal with in this life. There is no difficulty and no trouble you can bring to God that will make him scratch his head 
or pace up in heaven or call upon the angels because he can't figure out what to do. That is not the picture of God that, that we're given in the Scripture. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. He was talking to people that had gone through a lot. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possessions and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hebrews 10.37 For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul, listen to that, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Remember John the Baptist? He had such joy hearing the bridegroom's voice. Then the test came. He's in prison. He thought that Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom right then. But he was in a different way. And John sent messengers to Jesus saying, Are you really the one? He was beginning to break. Or, or, or we expect somebody else. Because I've been preaching and people have been repenting and getting baptized, but I know I'm sitting in a prison cell right now. And I'm here because some woman of the king doesn't like me. His wife doesn't like me because I, I called him out. I called his sin out. It was on account of the word that he was in prison. Because he told Herod, you have no right to have that woman. She's not your wife. And so she came and got him and put him in prison. He was there on account of the word. He was suffering on account of the word. And so he sent word to Jesus. Are you really the one? Or should we expect somebody else? And what did Jesus say? He said, go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. And basically Jesus went and said, go back and tell him how the scripture is being fulfilled in me. Go back and tell him that I'm the true article. And, and what, what Jesus said is what, what John needed to hear, what you and I need to hear is that Jesus is the real Messiah. Jesus is the real God. He's the real king. He's not some figment of people's imagination. He is God Almighty in the flesh coming to save sinners. And that's the message that you and I need to hear when the chips are down, when the bottom falls out, when the other shoe drops. You need to hear that there is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus, and he brought the gospel to you. And he's not going to stop until he brings you home. And he's worthy of being followed. He's worthy of being believed in. He has proven himself over and over and over and over again. He has proven who he is. He's proven that he's real. Nobody else on earth ever has said and did it. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me and crucify me. And on the third day, I'm coming back from the dead. A lot of people have said that. But only one person did it. Jesus got up on the third day to give us power, to give us a brand new life. John the Baptist was willing at that point. Later on, he, he didn't get out of prison. He lost his head. Off of some kind of trick, some woman said, what, what should I ask for? Well, I asked for John the Baptist's head because I don't like him because he talks about my sin. On account of the word, he lost his head. I'd like to have a talk with that woman. What good is that going to do? John the Baptist was true to the end. You know, right before this, and we'll, we'll, we will close with this. Um, I'm laughing because I said that already. Um, we're coming to a close, right? Yeah. <laughs> but right before this parable in Matthew, Jesus talks about the men of Nineveh. In Jonah's day, the people of Nineveh, he said, Jesus said to his generation, he said, you know, the people of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up with this generation and they're going to condemn it because they repented when Jonah preached the gospel and something greater than Jonah is here. And, and he said, the queen of Sheba is, is going to rise up with this generation and condemn it because she came far and wide from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon Something greater than Solomon is here in the person and in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
And so, so, so you and I have to have that kind of daily attachment to Jesus that we see the value, we see the weight, we see the worth, that we're willing to go to the ends of the earth for Him because there's no one greater that we know of. It says in 1 Kings chapter 10 of the people of Solomon's day, it says of them, the Queen of Sheba said to them, Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She said that to Solomon. How happy they are to be able to stand here day and night and just listen to you talk. And Jesus said something greater than Solomon is here. Wisdom embodied is here. Every single treasure of wisdom, every single treasure of knowledge is found in Jesus. How happy they are, how joyful they really are who sit before the Word of God just to hear the Master speak. Don't neglect the book. You stick with the book and you won't get shook when the chips are down. And in the end, you won't get cooked. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true, isn't it? Jesus is the Word. Let's, let's turn our hearts to God in prayer. Our Father, in Christ's name we come. We give thanks to you for Jesus, who's with us through and through, no matter what, for better or for worse, for richer and poorer, for sickness and health. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never denies us. Oh God, help us when, when the sun rises, so to speak, and, and the sun shines, that there would be moisture, there would be soil, there would be root, a rooting system, an irrigation system, Lord, of the Spirit of God. A rooted system that that the root of Jesse himself would be in us. And that's why we would persevere to the end. We wouldn't give up. We wouldn't quit. We wouldn't follow Jesus when it's just sunny. sunny. But we follow even when it's raining, storming, in the midst of whatever. God, give us grace to realize that Jesus went through the worst case scenario for us and gave us His Spirit to take us home. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.